How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Are you excited to be here? That was kind of depressing. Somebody's excited at least. All right, well, we're going to get started today. Before we do, I want everybody to close your eyes for a second. Because I can always think better when my eyes are closed and I'm not thinking. Does that make any sense? It made sense. I promise. All right, so I want you to think about something. And this has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, really. But I felt like the Lord told me this this morning. He's wanting to do something new in here today. He's wanting to do something new inside of each one of you today. And it says in his word that his mercies are new every morning. And today is the day of salvation. And he's the same yesterday as he is today and the same that he'll be tomorrow. But he's wanting to do something new inside of you today. If you look through every chapter of the Bible, right, all these different people that we see, God is constantly doing something new and revealing himself to every person in a different way and using people in a different way, but is constantly bringing everything back to himself. And I don't know who this is for this morning, but it was definitely for for me this morning too. But today, the Lord wants to do something new. He wants to use you exactly where you're at, and he wants to do something that you haven't done. Because he's still writing this, these chapters in this book, right? There's still new things to come. There's still uh, not necessarily maybe better things, but there is uh, something different coming. And I know that's, that's a term that you don't hear very often in a lot of churches, something new. You know, new can be scary sometimes. But I'm telling you, I don't know who this is for, but it's for somebody. But the Lord wants to do something new inside of you today. All right? Well, you can go ahead and open up your eyes. I don't want you to fall asleep or nothing. Um, no sleeping. We'll call you out for that. Just like eating in the sanctuary, we'll call you out for sleeping in the sanctuary. So you have to deal with that today. But uh, we're uh, going to be in Judges chapter 6 today. Amy actually asked me uh, two Thursdays ago, to speak to uh, her class at Oakton South, and uh, they're doing a whole uh, sermon series on, on Judges. And uh, so I just happened to fall on Judges 6, and I got to looking through this, and I really feel like the Lord was showing me some things in here. So I want to kind of go over this story with you. Um, I'm going to read a, a short section of it um, from like 1 to, I don't know, we'll stop somewhere. But uh, we'll go over the whole story after, and we'll kind of get an idea of what we're talking about today, Okay. But in uh, Judges chapter 6, 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites uh, made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Wherever uh, the Israelites planted their crops, thieves uh, from Midian and Amalek and the people of the east uh, would attack Israel camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy uh, hoarders, uh, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. Uh, They arrived uh, in droves of camels too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord uh, because of Midian, 
the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, your God of Israel, says. I brought you up uh, out of slavery uh, in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all whom oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave uh, you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites and whose land you live now, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath uh, the great tree at Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Jehosh, Joash, sorry, I don't know why I ever said Joash, All right, of the clan of Ebenezer. Uh, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, The Lord brought us up out of Egypt, and now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord returned, uh, or turned to him and said, Go with strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But the but Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribes of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if, you truly, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really you speaking. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. So we got this uh, little situation, little pickle that Israel's in. They got people who keep coming and stealing from them. They got, um, they're basically hiding in fear everywhere that they are. And we find this uh, special guy named Gideon who's hiding out, um, obviously terrified. And the Lord appears to him as he's hiding in a wine press and calls him a mighty hero. So I think it's kind of interesting. But uh, in, in verse 15, you know, Gideon, of course, has an excuse for why he's not a mighty hero, right? And then in 16, God tells him, hey, no matter what, I'll be with you. But what God's wanting him to do is he's wanting him to go back into uh, the village and they have, a, they have this uh, statue that's of Baal that, that everybody keeps worshiping. It's the source of all their problems. And what the Lord wants Gideon to do is to go in and to rip this thing down. And so that's where we get this, this all into uh, perspective. But really the, the root of the problem was is that Israel fell into sin and they stopped doing what the Lord told them to do. And of all the people, I find this interesting because Gideon, I think, is one of the most relatable people in the entire Bible for the very reason of, of all the people that God could have chose, of any one of them, he chose the guy who was the least, or in the tribe that was the, the weakest in the whole tribes of Manasseh, and he was the least in his father's house. And so I think it's kind of interesting uh, the way that, that God chooses to do things sometimes. But with all this affliction, Gideon is hiding in a wine press, and I don't know... If, uh, if this makes sense to you, a lot of you know a little bit more about harvesting wheat than I do. But some of you may not, okay? But whenever they were cutting wheat back then, they had this wheat, right? And there was the stuff in it called the uh, chaff. And you throw it up in the air, and you let the wind blow all the, stu- the useless stuff away, and what you need falls down to the ground. And so he's hiding in the bottom of a wine press where there's no wind. He doesn't have a leaf blower, okay? He doesn't have anything 
You know, he doesn't throw it up in the air and, you know, and try to blow. I mean, he has no way of this actually working the way that it's supposed to work. He needs the two things to separate. But because of how fearful he is of these people and how fearful he is of everything that's going on in their situation, he finds himself doing a task that was probably very difficult to do, but to the point of he didn't want to be confronted by anyone else or have his stuff stolen from him. And what I find interesting is, is that even though that he was, I mean, a lot of people would call him a coward, right? God comes to him and he says, hey, mighty hero, how are you doing today? And I was listening to this video that Amy had, had sent me on this. And uh, the guy was talking about, you know, if this was a stage play, this is the point in the play where the whole audience would have laughed. Because he is, you know, the, the least likely to be a mighty hero. And, you know, God's no liar, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and his word is always good. He's always a man of his promises, and he always keeps his promise. And nothing he says is wrong. So how can he go to this guy who's obviously some punk kid hiding in a wine press to walk up to him and call him a mighty hero? And I always think it's interesting how God does things. You know, it says in the word that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So sometimes whenever my mind gets uh, confused, whenever he does things differently, you just got to kind of remember that, hey, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. Don't think you have to figure it out. You know, he, he's always going to be good. What I think is probably the most interesting is that God doesn't call and, and address Gideon based on how he feels. He addresses Gideon as who he knows he's going to be and who he created him to be. You know, when he was completely in a, in a different setting, you know, Gideon's thinking, man, I'm just, I'm the lowest of lows. But yet God calls him and wants him to be the one who brings Israel back to him. And so I think that's kind of interesting. But at the current moment, Gideon is letting fear keep him from being exactly who God called him to be. And if you turn to 1 Samuel 16, uh, 6, we find uh, the prophet Samuel uh, Saul had kind of fallen back from God, and it was time to anoint a new king for Israel. And so Samuel's going out trying to anoint this new ki- king, and God tells him to go to this uh, guy's house, and his name is Jesse. And Jesse has a ton of sons, right? And so as Samuel walks up to all these sons to find this new king, he walks up to the oldest son, the best-looking son, and all this different stuff, you know, kind of like Dylan. He's a good, tall, good-looking guy. He's single, too, ladies, if you... You need to hook him up. But, uh, you know, a strong, good-looking guy like him. And God speaks to Samuel and says, hey, that's not the one that I've anointed. You know, and then he goes to the next, you know, the second oldest, still good-looking and strong and that kind of stuff. And he's thinking, okay, well, surely this is the one. And God tells him, no, this isn't him either. And he goes through all of Jesse's sons, and he doesn't find the one that God wants to anoint. And he looks at Jesse and he says, dude, do you have any other sons? He said, I have one more but he's out tending to the sheep. In other words, doing the lowest of low jobs. He's out there tending to the sheep, and he's just the piddly youngest kid. He said, you send for him right now. So, <laughs> so Jesse goes and gets his son, which is named David. A few of you may know him. And uh, brings David to him, and, he says, and God tells him, yes, this is the one. This is the one who's going to be the new king of Israel. And he said, Samuel, you see things by an outward appearance. You see them uh, based on a physical thing. He said, I look at the heart. 
And it's the exact same thing that we're talking about here today, which can, can blow our minds because I think a lot of times we think, well, man, I got to do this, this, and this, and I got to do this physically or, or have this in line and yada, yada, yada. But all God wants is the heart. That's all he's been looking for all throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. All he ever wanted was people's heart. It was never about the physical things. So God always examines the heart before the outward appearance. But I think a lot of times, you know, before God tells us to do something or, or, or whatever, we want to be able to see with our eyes the, the physical things uh, being in place. Like, for instance, when Gideon's sitting in this wine press, he can say, okay, God, I, I, I guess I understand that you're calling me a mighty hero, and I'm the one that's supposed to go and tear down this uh, statue but I want to see an army come to this wine press, and I want to know that we're physically stronger than Midian before we go to fight them. And I think that's where we get into trouble, because we, we want to see everything planned out, and we want to see everything in, in, in a perfect condition to where we know for a fact that we can do what the Lord tells us to do, or we know for a fact that we can win. But the truth of the matter is, is that in everything that the Lord does... Faith always comes before any result that you see. When Moses was standing in front of this Red Sea with all these people coming to kill him, he had the faith to raise his arm before he saw the water depart. And you could, we could talk about a million examples like that. All throughout the Bible, Noah built the ark before the first drop of rain fell. He didn't wait till it started raining to start building that thing. And to make an even more point there, it had literally never rained before in all of history. Water had never fallen from the sky. So everyone thought that he was super crazy. Right? But he built the ark before the first drop of rain fell. And it's the same way all throughout Scripture. And so what I, what I started talking to these kids about on uh, two Thursdays ago is I started talking about fear. You know, we fear a lot of things. We fear, um, like for instance, some people may fear spiders, snakes, uh, public speaking maybe, uh, there's there's a billion things. There's uh, there's even apparently a new fear that's called fear of losing your phone. I guess they actually have a they have a word for that now. And uh, you know, but people fear a lot of different things. And I know, like for instance, whenever uh, whenever I was a kid, my parents had this swimming pool growing up. And anytime I'd go swim, and I have no idea why this was, I was like six or seven or something like that. And I would stand up on a diving board and I'd look at the whole pool. You can see underneath it. You know, it's not green. You can see all the way down the bottom. But anytime I jumped in and I closed my eyes, I would always think that a shark was going to come eat me. And I have, I have no idea why I feared that. But I'd stand up there and I'd look at the whole pool. There's no shark here. Okay, I'm good. Jump in, close my eyes, and the first second I do that, I'm thinking a shark's coming to get me. Every time. And the, the dumb thing is, you may say, Landon, that's a stupid thing to fear but it didn't make it any less real to me. You know, I was still in, in fear of that. And everybody has something uh, different that maybe that they're, they're scared of. And I'm talking to these kids. Some of them are bringing up some, some real stuff. Like a girl was talking about how uh, her mom has this medical condition and that she's uh, always worried that something's going to happen to her. And if she goes to this episode or whatever, then she's going to end up dying, all this stuff. And starts telling me about how she wants to be a uh, special kind of doctor, 
uh, whenever she grows up to take care of people just like her mom and just different stuff like that. People worried about losing their grandparents. I mean, different stuff that's, you know, like is, is real. And, you know, I start thinking about all these different things that, that we can fear. And sometimes, you know, our fear does a good job of messing stuff up. Like, for instance, okay, you're going to learn a little bit about golf today, all right? That way, whenever you play after church, you know, you'll be good to go. So whenever I play golf, the, the one thing that I've always wanted to do is I want to break the course record at Lamar. I think it's, I think it's 62, but uh, I've had several rounds in my hand where I felt like that was a real, a real number, like I was getting close to it. I've shot several 65s and 66s, and man, there's been a few of them that I thought I had a 62 in my hand. And, uh, but it seems like every time I start going around, it's not a big deal once I get one birdie, two birdies, three birdies. But once you start knocking on that door of four, five, maybe six under, that's whenever you start thinking about, this could be real. And uh, so like then you start trying to manipulate things and do things. And uh, before you know it, you're 12 over par, you know, and you've hit four out of bounds and lost 10 golf balls. And I mean, just, I mean, it happens, happens just like that. And sometimes, you know, it, it just depends on, depends on what you're fearful of. But what I never could figure out is uh, I didn't understand the scripture very well, but there's a scripture in 1 John that says, perfect love casts out all fear. And I could never figure out what that meant. You know, I mean, as a, as a Christian uh, growing up, you know, I always thought, well, since, and we talk about it a lot at church, you know, we stand on that 1 Timothy 1, 7, I think. I wasn't given a spirit of fear and yada, yada, yada. And I always think, well, since I'm a Christian, I can't fear. And then when I really started thinking about that, there's a lot of things that I thought uh, being a Christian meant, you know. The Bible tells me that, that I wasn't given a spirit of fear. The Bible tells me that I'm an overcomer. The Bible tells me that I'm forgiven. The Bible tells me that I'm loved. The Bible tells me all these different things. But I don't always feel those things. You know what I mean? And I always thought, you know, if I, if I feel like I'm, if I feel fear, then I must not be a good Christian, or if I don't feel love, then I must just not be getting this Christianity thing. I, I may just not be understanding it um, the right way, or maybe it's my fault or whatever. But the truth is that we don't always feel that way. But I know in, in the scripture that we read, God's response to Gideon is very much the same. You know, he says, hey, I'm literally the least in my entire family. The least in my father's house. My clan's the weakest, and there's no way I can do what you're saying and the Lord's response to him is the same thing he's telling us today. And he says, I am with you. And that's what makes it different. And honestly, we see, uh, we see in our culture today that our views aren't exactly accepted the same way that they used to be. And, uh, you know, you see people getting sued for standing up for their faith. You see people going, um, you see people overseas literally being killed for their faith. You see all this stuff going on. And if you think about it long enough, you realize that in a turn of a few years, we could end up just like Gideon hiding in a wine press, scared for, for standing up for your faith. And I, uh, the reason I bring that up is because the other night I was, I was talking to these kids and I was doing uh, what I thought you did with kids. You know, it, I was asking them, uh, I was asking them what the Lord told them to do for this school year. What's, what's he telling them to do uh, to lead people to Christ while they're at school? 
And some of them had actually thought about it before. But uh, I start, you know, giving them ideas. And I had candy, of course, so I can bribe them with candy and get them to go do something, you know, get, get their mind running. And, and uh, they were thinking about several different things. But like I told a girl, she had to invite 10 kids to church by next Thursday, and I gave her two candy bars. And she ended up getting eight of them, but I think she should have to give me half of one of them back. But I guess she already ate it or something. But uh, I, told it, I told this other girl, she wanted an idea, and I said, I tell you what, why don't you bring your, uh, bring your Bible to school, and in your free time, not while other stuff's going on, but in your free time, set it out on your desk and read it. And I guarantee you it'll minister to more people than you even know. And she said, I can't do that. I'll get in trouble at school for that. It's like, are you kidding me? And she was worried that she would literally, not from her friends and all this different stuff, she was literally worried that she would get in trouble for bringing her Bible out of school. And you realize that, that this deal of, of hiding in a wine press and, and that kind of stuff really isn't that far off from, from where our culture is today. But my point is, is that in everything that we do, the Lord may tell us to do something, and you may be fearful about it. There may be, um, maybe you don't feel loved like the Bible says you're loved. Maybe you don't feel forgiven like the Bible says you're forgiven. And all this different stuff. What I'm telling you is, is that whenever the Lord tells you to do something, and you feel fear, that doesn't mean that you've got this Christianity thing wrong. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian and all this other stuff. What I'm telling you is whenever you feel fear, what courage is, is even though that you have fear, you still do what the Lord tells you to do. Because see, unfortunately, fear doesn't just go away whenever you become a Christian. But whenever 1 John says that perfect love casts out all fear, that means that even though that we have fear, our love for God is, is bigger than our fear. And whenever we're like Gideon and we're hiding in a wine press and not doing all the things that the Lord wants us to do, that just means that our fear is bigger than our faith or our fear is bigger than our love for God. But see, whenever the reason it says perfect love casts out all fear is because if you really love God, regardless of what you think people are going to say about you, regardless of what happens to you, you still do what the Lord tells you to do because you know that your love for him is way more important than all these other things. And to put it in perspective, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a parent. When a parent's kid is in danger, cautions to the wind. It doesn't matter what's going on, you know, that parent's going to run in there and make sure their kid's safe and it doesn't mean if they, you know, die or whatever it means, they're going to go in there and make sure their kid's safe, right? That's why, you know, like my mom, if I'm injured or whatever, pff, rationality and, and everything else goes to the wind, right? That's why I call dad if I get injured, right? <laughs> but that's what I mean. And a parent, a parent will, will do anything. And uh, it's the same way with our, our love for God. Whenever your love for God is stronger than your fear, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. All that matters is what the Lord's telling you to do. And that's kind of where that, that scripture got put into perspective for me. And that's why in Joshua 1.9, the Lord tells Joshua, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't know how many times in that little chapter that the Lord says, be strong and courageous, but it's a bunch. 
And he says it over and over and over again because he's telling Joshua, hey, all you got to do is let your love for me be stronger than all this other stuff that you're worried about. And I promise you that I'm going to see you through to the end. And whenever you start doing all this stuff, you're going to become this mighty hero that we're talking about, just like Gideon. And see, strength is and courage come despite of fear. And it doesn't mean that you have to, to not feel fear, but instead of letting fear control you, you let love control you instead. Because just like we were talking about this morning, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace for their faith, I guarantee you that fire still looked hot to them. I guarantee you that when the guard opened the door and he died because the furnace was so hot, that was pretty darn real to them. But even though they may have been anxious, even though they may have had fear because of what they were seeing with their eyes, it didn't change their faith. Because regardless of if God met them in there or they died in there, God was going to be honored regardless. And, it's, and, that's, and that's what we're talking about today. And one thing that I do think Gideon did uh, that I wanted to note was in verse 13, he reminded God of his word. You know, he said, God, I thought that, that our ancestors said something completely different than what's going on right now. Our ancestors said that you did all these mighty miracles. Our ancestors said all of this different stuff. But Lord, we don't see you work in the same way back then as you did now. And the Lord looked at and it said, literally in the Bible, it said that he turned to him and said, I'm sending you to do it. And it's the same way with us today. You know, we may look at, uh, look at, look at Acts in the early chapters and say, God, we're not seeing any of this stuff today. We're not seeing blind people be able to see. We're not seeing people who have been, uh, can't walk all their life just stand up and walk. And the same thing that, that the Lord told Gideon is the same thing that he's telling us today. The reason that you're not seeing all this stuff is because I'm sending you and, and we're the ones that aren't doing it. What God wants is people's heart to be for him. It's not about the, the physical things that you do. It's not about anything else. But he wants your love for him to be stronger and bigger and, 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 and more plentiful than, than your fear. And Honestly, Gary and I were talking about this after service today, or after first service, and uh, we were always we were talking about really what's the root of it, what's the root of fear, and the root of fear, what, like what we were talking about was a was a lack of of confidence that whatever the Lord does and whatever circumstance it is, that He's going to be faithful, that He's going to be good, no matter what happens. And we were talking about even how sometimes we, we pray for rain, just like, you know, the farmers have been in a drought, we pray for rain. But uh, sometimes God's plan is different than for it to rain. You know, we have things that we're anxious about that we want to see happen, but whenever we give and, and trust in the Lord, that in everything that he does, that he's going to be good and faithful to us, and he's going to make the best out of every situation, that kind of changes the way that we pray for things. Because even like we were talking about Larry, we were always talking bad about Larry, you know. And, uh, you know, if, if Larry was still in farming, you know, I, I personally am, am touched and I'm standing here today 
because Larry and his family are in ministry. And sometimes the things that we pray for are not the things that the Lord wants to do as a, as a result of all this stuff. You know, would, if Larry was still in farming, would, would I be standing here in front of you today? I don't know. But there's a lot of people in here that were touched just because of that. And there's a lot of things like that today that we're so fearful about and we're so anxious about. But whenever we trust in the Lord and just say, Lord, we want you to do whatever you want to do in this circumstance. Whatever it is, we're okay with. That's where it changes. That's whenever fear takes a hike and and gets out of your life. But God wants his will to be done. He wants to do all these things. He, he wants to, for the church to be in revival like they were in early Acts. He wants all this stuff to happen. But we have to let go of our fear and, and, and fight for him. And the thing is, is that this love that we're talking about is going to have to be our ultimate desire over everything else. If we want this deal to go the way that the scriptures say it and the way the Lord wants it to be done, we're going to have to let love be stronger than all these other things. Because even though that the Bible says that I'm an overcomer and I don't feel like an overcomer, even though the Bible says I'm forgiven and I don't feel like I'm forgiven, we have to let our love for God and know that he's a man of his word and that he is always going to be good and he's always going to be faithful. And we have to, regard, we have to love him regardless of, of that fear of not being loved or forgiven and all that stuff. And uh, if, the, if the praise team wants to go ahead and come up, we'll... Uh, start to put a, a little wrap on this. But I think for, for a really long time, the church has, uh, has thought that we have to make ourselves this, uh, this lowly, uh, down-and-out person in order for, for Christ to use us. You know, we have to be uh, this person who's absolutely nothing in order for, for God to be in control. Because we use scriptures and songs like, um, in, in our weakness, he is, he is strong. You know, you get what I mean? But the thing is, is that that's not the case at all. God always appeared to someone who may have appeared weak, but the, the point of it all, he is strong in our weakness. But what he wants is for us to get up and to go And whenever we've pushed as hard as we can possibly push and we've done all that we can possibly done, then he is strong in our weakness. You know, your weakness isn't just, well, I got to be this lonely down and out person that sits on the couch all the time. You know, you're not an overcomer of your couch, okay? We're an overcomer of the world. And so whenever you start pushing and being a force of nature in this world, you know, there's some people out there that are a force of nature, you ever got around a Christian that was a force of nature? You can't get away from them. They're constantly telling you about Christ. And I mean, literally, it's like, man, you're like a tornado running through here. But that's the point. Whenever you've pushed as hard as you can push and you've done all that you can do, that's whenever the Lord's going to be, be strong in your weakness. But we think that we have to be this lowly person. But see, God appeared to Gideon, and he called him a mighty hero regardless of his feeling, regardless of his situation, and literally by one chapter, as we go to the end of this, remember God wanted him to go and tear down the statue of Baal? He did. He finally, after going back and forth between uh, 
him and God, they were having this deal, and he's like, you know, God, prove that it's, prove that it's you. How many times do we do that? God, prove that this is really you that's telling me this, and, and the Lord does what he wanted him to do. And he said, no, 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 that, that was too easy. Now, now I need you to show me in, in this way. And finally, after going back and forth, back and forth, finally Gideon says, okay, Lord, I'll do what you ask me. And so we have this like dramatic scene built up in our mind, right, of, of this statue of Baal, and we see him come in there and just like, with, with everybody watching and all this stuff, and we see this like hero come out, right? No. He waited until, you know, one, two in the morning when everyone was sleeping and went down there and, you know, gave it a push and knocked it over. But regardless of, of how he did it, he still did exactly as the Lord told him to do. And whenever the people woke up the next morning, they said, who did this? And they figured out that it was Gideon. And uh, I couldn't find the word earlier, but they, they called him a special word, and it's translated in different ways. But uh, in some translation, it'll tell you that he was the, def- uh, the uh, contender of the gods. Some will say that he was the, uh, the fighter against Baal. Some will say it's all this different stuff. But literally, in, in one chapter, he went from this dude that was so scared that he was, he was thrashing wheat in a wine press to this dude who's known among his people as the, the contender of the gods. And the point of it all is that what God's trying to tell us this morning is that whatever this something new is that the Lord is stirring within you, we think it's so far out and so out of reach and so far away. But I'm telling you this morning that if one chapter he can make Gideon the contender of the gods, I promise you that whatever he's speaking to you today, he can do to you in no time. But today we have to choose and say, God, regardless of my fear, regardless of me not feeling forgiven, regardless of all this other stuff I've done wrong in my life, I'm going to lay that to the side because my love for you is bigger than my fear. And so that's what it comes down to today. And so I don't, I don't know what you guys got going on in your, in your own personal life, but all I can tell you is, is that I know for a fact that whenever I walked in here this morning that God, God told me to tell you that he wants to do something new. And so whatever that is, I encourage you just to seek the Lord. If you want to come up here, go for it. If you want to stay in your seat, that's fine too. But what I'm telling you is, is whatever that new thing is, he's stirring <laughs> he's stirring Gideons, the people who may feel the down and out and the, the least in your family and the least in your clan. But I'm telling you, he's going to do something in you today if you'll let him.